0: Welcome to another inspirational podcast from Abundant Life Church, where we believe that God is a good God. He loves you and he wants to bless you. Now join us as we dive into today's message. Hallelujah. I'm excited to be with you today. I, I, I think we're, I know in some ways the seasons that are going on in the world seems like we are, we're losing control, and, and I understand that. But I also know that where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. And I, I've got to trust that nothing is happening that God doesn't really know already. And that's the big struggle that I have in life because I'm, I'm one of those that likes to make things happen. I'm, I'm that bull in the china closet. You know what I'm saying? You know, if we tell them we've got to go over there, then I don't look on the sides. I just go. And uh, sometimes that's not good. But I've learned how to rest as it gotten older in the years that know that God's got, God's got this. And when you sing these songs, make them personal. When you were hearing what was being ministered this morning in the song service, make that something that that you, you really latch on to. God is not defeated. And there are moments, there are seasons that we go through, you know. But again, I, I remind everyone, and I'm just saying this to encourage people today, but I, I remind everyone, you know, there's certain scriptures that wouldn't be in the Bible if they were not pertinent to what we're going to be facing in life. You you understand. No weapon formed against me would prosper. Hello. That means there's some weapons out there. He said they wouldn't prosper, but he didn't say they weren't there. We use that scripture all the time. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. We're all going to have valleys we're walking through. But the Lord is my shepherd. And even in the presence of my enemy, he prepares a table for me. So I just want to encourage y'all today that as we look at what's going on in our society and, and I, was, I was just talking to some people yesterday that are in the financial institutions and, and they were talking to me about how things are changing and how they're going to handle it and they're going through it and I just started laughing because they, they, they're Christians and they said to me, "So well, what is so funny? I said, even in your realm of, of business, God still has it under control. Isn't that funny? Sometimes we think the banker has more control than God. Sometimes, and seriously, we think the doctor has more control than God. Sometimes we think these authorities that the world, a world system that Satan tried to give to Jesus, if he would bow down. Jesus said, "I don't think so." By well, the fact that Jesus didn't bow down to them and accept that from Satan, he said, "No." And when he died and was resurrected, he put them underneath his feet and said, "Wait a minute! I have the authority." Amen. Amen. So I like to live that way. That I know that no matter what clouds are today, I know the sun's going to come out tomorrow. And I learned a long time ago that most dreams are birthed at midnight, so don't be afraid of the dark. Come on, stay with me, folks. And so I'm excited. Believe it or not, I'm totally and completely excited over what's about to take place over these coming years. And Wednesday night, we're going to share a couple of things. And I remind you that this year when God spoke to us, remember what he said to us. What you're going to get done, you need to start in in the first quarter. The second quarter, you need to have it underway. The third quarter, you should be trying to bring it to a completion. Because the fourth quarter, all hell's gonna break loose. I said that last year on New Year's Eve night. How did, did we know what was gonna happen with the gas, with the interest rates, with what was gonna happen with over in the Ukraine? We we didn't know those things. But God already knew and has prepared us. And that's why it's the greatest moment in the church's life than we've ever had right now. If we will stop identifying with the world system and start identifying with God's system, it's amazing how you can get through the mess that the enemy puts in front of you and come out on the top, amen? So I'm excited about today, but I want to talk to you about something we've talked every year, and I want to go back and reference some things in regards to Christmas. This is Christmas season. And as we get into Christmas season, again, it it has gotten so convoluted with things That that people are just just mixed up about it. And and, and they're from one spectrum to the other. I mean, it's crazy. You know, I love it when people say to me, you know, well, you know, I hate Christmas because it's all about gifts, but you're looking under the tree, aren't you? (laughs) Come on. It's gotten so commercialized, but what did you buy me? Oh, I didn't like this. I'll take it back. We're a funny people, aren't we? But Christmas is, I, I believe it is about giving personally, and we'll talk about that in a moment. I, I love giving. I love gifts. I went up, and we were in New York just past, uh, two weeks ago, with, with my, my daughter and my, my grandson, and, uh, of course, you, you know he's on Broadway, right? Okay. Anyway, not that I haven't bragged about him enough. And so I went, I made sure I went by the, 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 the Brightling store and bought my Christmas gift and gave it to my wife and said, here, you can put this under the tree, and that way you know I'm going to be excited about the gift you bought me. I love gifts. (laughs) Amen. Nothing wrong with that. I love trees. And I know people say sometimes they'll go back in history and they'll study it out and they'll go, you know, trees, all that represents pagan holidays and things like that. Stop it. If you really feel that way, cut down every tree in your yard. (laughs) Why why is it Christmas trees are the ones that get the bad rap? (laughs) I like the lights. I think they're, they're wonderful. I love the lights, and the, you know, I, I love everything about Christmas. I really do. But there's a purpose behind it. We know that this time of the year, Jesus was not born. Historically, we know that. We know He's probably born more when we celebrate His resurrection than when we celebrate His birth. But the reality is, the world takes time to recognize that Jesus Christ was born. Isn't that an awesome? Come on, stay with me, church. We se- and, and in at this season you can talk about Jesus like never before. I, I almost I almost lost it the other night because I'm not I'm not big on watching a lot of stuff that my wife watches sometimes on TV. I'm not a Hallmark guy. <laughs> you know. Yeah. You know. Give me the ultimate fighters, and I'm good. But the other night, I walked in and she had flipped on a a special by Dolly Parton. Anybody see that? The whole show was about Jesus. I'm cracking up. I'm going, when, when does a major network let somebody come on and spend an hour talking about Jesus? We're in a great season. You know why they let her do that? Because the world is such a mess. They need somebody that can say and bring peace to it. It's an opportunity for us as the church to be a, a real peacemaker right now in the world in which we live and let people see the love of the Lord and, and see us walking in those, those attributes of the kingdom of God so that when they see Christians, they go, oh, they're crazy. They go, man, these are the nicest people I've ever met in my life. They are who they say they are, and they don't deviate. Amen. So I'm gonna go back to something familiar. We're gonna talk about the birth of Christ and we're we're gonna talk about some things over in the book of Matthew, if you would please, chapter two, familiar passage. Everyone knows this passage. But in it, we we begin to start in, in verse one. And it says, now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod, the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have not seen his for we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Now I think this is fascinating, just when you stop, just for that right there. We're talking about something that has been prophesied in the, in the Jewish scriptures. Something that has been known. It's not something that's happened overnight. We're talking about, you know, this is is not a, oh, my, Jesus is born. They they knew this, but nobody's talking about the birth of Christ, kind of like today in some ways. And when the wise men came, they all got upset when they presented. Herod Herod had been a king for 35 years. And now you're telling me this Jewish boy is coming to take my place? Because that's how he saw it. But he hadn't even heard about it, hadn't even talked about it. It's fascinating to me. It's kind of like our politics today. They haven't heard about half of what they're talking about today. And you're confused like, oh, this happened. Now, I, again, I'm always fascinated. We, we, we take out prayer in the school and we wonder why there's immorality and brokenness in the school. <laughs> we're just a funny people. We want to defund the police and we wonder why crime has risen. I mean, we're as dumb as a sack of rocks like Herod. There's nothing's changed what I'm saying is humanity is humanity. We get so caught up. See, the trick of the enemy is that you're so caught up in the moment that you don't remember or you don't focus on what God has said. And that's why these songs today were so important. You've got to begin to focus on what God has said. Not, not what's going on out here, but what has God said to you? Because God is not a man that he should lie. He watches over his word to perform it. You say, well, what's taking him so long? He's waiting on us to get in place. So we see something going on here that that had been prophesied, that that was not, it was not unusual to, to go back and read the scriptures, but they chose to read the scriptures they wanted to read rather than what God had prophesied to them about the birth of Christ. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled all Jerusalem. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and the scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where is the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for this, is, it, is, for this it is written by the Oh, now we find out what the prophets have written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Now, now see what he's saying here. He says, what's going to come out of you is a ruler or a king, but he's going to shepherd the people. There, there You need to understand the M.O. of Christ when he came. It was one of authority, of course, but it's also one to be able to shepherd the people. And here it had, had Had secretly called the wise men, determined or wise men determined from them what time the star appeared, and when he sent them to Bethlehem, he said, "Go and search carefully for the young child, and when you have found him, bring on him, bring back word to me, for I have come and I may come and worship him." Well, we we understand that he's setting them up. We we understand that, but I also think it's amazing that. He called them privately so nobody would know that he was talking to them. It's kind of like some of the politicians who call your dad privately because they don't want anybody to know that they're talking to him. I'm fascinated with that because we talk about that sometimes. He'll get a call from a a main player in, in Washington, but they didn't want anybody else to know that they're talking to the man of God. It's fascinating. Let me tell you something, folks. When Christians begin to act like Christians, the world's going to come to us because they can't find what they're looking for and what they're doing. We cannot change the agenda that God has set in place. Now now watch this because we're going somewhere with this. I really am. I'm not preaching yet. I'm just talking. And he sent them to Bethlehem for the young child. And when when they found him, Bring back word so that I may worship him. So when they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till I, it came and stood over where the young child was. Now, let, let's take a few moments. Let's deal with a couple of things here. Number one, and you've heard me talk about this many times here in, in, the, in the service in the church through the years, so it's nothing new for for those that have been here for a season. But there were not three wise men. Can we deal with that real quick? There was not a white, a black, and an Asian. (laughs) I'm amazed. I go to churches, they got three wise men. It's always a white, a black, and an Asian. Like, really? (laughs) It's amazing how we want to try and be politically correct. First off, there were not three. Somebody wrote a song, and they took it and made it scriptural. And through the years, the church has always had three wise men. First off, they were wise men, but they were were also were sorcerers. They were ones that studied the stars. They looked at the stars, and the stars to them, they represented the heavenlies. And and, and so they were in the occult in many ways. They didn't travel in threes. They traveled by hundreds. Some say there might have been as many as 500 in a group. They were nomads that would travel. They came from the east. And I think it's amazing because when you look at this and you see this, these wise men, when they, <clears throat> when they came, they came because they had had something that happened. Why was it the stars? Because the stars spoke to them. I'm going to mess some of you up now. See, God will speak to you based upon what you listen to. My, 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 my. Well, I, I don't know about that. Really? Well, I'm riding a donkey And the donkey speaks to me. Why? Because I'm not listening to any man. See, God will speak to you based upon what you're listening to, what you put in front of you. That's important We get a hold of. Okay, well, let's look at something a minute. Over in the book of Luke, when Jesus was born, God spoke to the shepherds, the Jewish shepherds, how? By angels. But he spoke to the Pagan Gentiles by star. Why? Because they looked at the stars. But the Jewish shepherds had always heard about angels. Ooh, my, 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 my. So I wonder how God's going to speak to you today. I wonder if he's going to use a star, if he's going to use an angel, or if he's going to use a jackass. <laughs> I don't care how he speaks to me. I'll listen. If it's from God, I'll listen to it. Amen. So we find that as they came, they came in an entourage. Now this is really important we see this because we've got this idea of these three dudes showing up going to see the king. And the king saying meeting with them privately in a group of three. And then they're going out and a group of three shows up at the house. And that's not true. They showed up with an entourage. Now it's important to see something here because as you read the scripture you'll find out when they came to Jesus, they came to see him in a house. Everybody say house, House. but in the in the in the three wise men Christmas play, we have him in the manger. What are you saying? I'm saying you see how the world system changes what is true. Now, if they can change it on the birth of Christ, what else can they change it for you? Read your scripture. Here, they came to a house to a young boy, and history tells us Jesus was probably about two years old. Amen. The angels came and saw Jesus in the manger in Bethlehem, but here they are now in Judea in a house. say, why is that important? Because we need to be scripturally correct. If we we don't get this right, we're not going to get anything else right. I mean, these are simple little things. But when they came to see Jesus, and and I want to get to this point because when they showed up, they showed up with not one or two or three, but they showed up with their whole entourage. How would you like to walk out in front of your house and see three to four or five hundred wise men with all of their families and all of their animals and all of their stuff saying, we've come to dinner. (laughs) It's an amazing thing to me. Their their mission was to find King Jesus, King of the Jews, based on the prophecy that he was a ruler, a shepherd, and a king. The star, to them, identified the residence of where Jesus lived. In other words, the star positioned them to be able to operate in the purpose that God had called him to do. And you need to understand something. That's the local church. The local church is the place that we should be able to position people so they can be able to fulfill their purpose and destiny. Not to control people or direct people, but to help purposefully put them in a place to where they can hear from God and they can fulfill their purpose and destiny. Come on, look at a person next to you and say, you have purpose. And look back at them again and say, by the way, whether you're young or old, purpose has no age. I'll let that sink for a moment. Well, I'm I'm 70 years old. Well, I'm 72 and I'm starting over next year. Well, you know, what do you mean at my age? Don't treat me the way you look at life. You want to be an old person, go ahead and be an old person. I almost said something else. If you want to be an old person, go ahead and be an old person. I refuse it. I CAN'T TELL MY BODY TO GET YOUNG, BUT I CAN THINK YOUNG. I CAN TALK YOUNG. I CAN MAKE DECISIONS YOUNG. AND I DON'T NEED privilege. I DON'T NEED FOCUS FACTOR. I HAVE THE HOLY GHOST. GLORY TO GOD. I SAY GLORY TO GOD. SO THESE GUYS SHOWED UP WITH THAT PURPOSE IN MIND BECAUSE THEY HAD BEEN POSITIONED BY THE STAR. Now look at this, when they saw Jesus, it says they began to rejoice it's with a seemingly great joy. And then they fell down and they worshiped him. Now, it's important to see something here because we're talking about this month of joy, but, but this is a funny thing. It said that they began to rejoice. They were, they were so cheerful and so excited that, they, that, that, that then they entered into an extremely great joy. And that, that word in the original text says that it was, it was so extreme that they became loud and demonstrative in their joy. Can you imagine in your front house you don't have the cowlers, the people that are singing carols to you, but you have, you have these people out there with all of their entourage, all of that, and they're all there, and you go, what are they shouting about? What are they singing? What are these? What, what are these people? Why are they so excited? But that's how these men, which totally went against everything that they stood for the mysteriousness of them and the positions they had and even people feared them and, and they were people that, that people would look to as soothsayers and things of that nature and and, and all of a sudden they're, they're beginning to clap and shout and, and they begin to, we found him. Maybe that's something we can learn about wise men have no problem being demonstrative in their praise. Hmm. But I grew up in a church that you didn't do that. If you did this, they look at you and go. What's wrong with you? This is holy. And I think back now, a lot of the churches I grew up in that were so holy are no longer around, or they are not—they've not grown, they've not done anything. But the people that were excited are the ones that grew. The people that were excited was the ones that touched the world. The people that were excited is the ones that touch others' lives with the love of God. Uh, just listen. I, people says, you know, oh, you be careful for wildfire. I'd like to have wildfire rather than no fire. Yeah. It says that they became extreme and in the, in, in, in they were loud with their gladness. And then they fell down and placed their heads on the ground and worshiped Jesus because they were from the east. And what they would do is they would come in and, and, the, and the king's... The, uh, and, the, and the leaders of the group would come down and put their head on the floor. Mm. And people look at us like we're crazy when we bow down. Or we look at us crazy. There's been times I've seen people here praying and they just throw themselves here on the front and just lay down. People, what's wrong with them? Nothing. They just reached a point in their lives they have no place to go. But we in our religious community have gotten so caught up with stuff like that that it it bothers us, it embarrasses us. Isn't that amazing? We're so embarrassed that somebody else's life could be fixed or helped or redeemed. God help me. I remember I was at a church years ago in Lakeland, Florida when I was in in, in college and studying in seminary for my my ministry. And I, I went to a church one night uh, Pentecostal church. And uh, the pastor got up and he was preaching. He got, every getting all excited. And everybody, all of a sudden, his handkerchief just started waving it. He said, let's give a wave offering to God. And I remember I was sitting in the balcony. And they pulled in, they, and, I, and, and I looked at the young girl I was dating at the time. And I said, I'm out of here. This is the most embarrassing thing I've ever seen in my life. Until the next week when I went to the high school championship football game of the state. And I saw him acting a lot more foolish than the people with handkerchiefs. And I thought, wow, maybe I need to change my philosophy. It's just I wasn't raised around it. It was against everything that I had been taught. We weren't taught to be demonstrative. We weren't taught to be joyful. We weren't taught to be, be if you will, to the point that we were willing to bow down and worship God in, the, in, a, in that the manner, that we would humble ourselves on that level. But these wise men, they came with purpose, and their purpose was to, was to see this king. Their purpose was to worship him because they saw him. Isn't it funny? They saw the king of the Jews in a way the Jews didn't see him. They saw him as a king. So they bowed down to him. Now, here's a unique thing about it is that, that they bowed down to Jesus as the king. They came into his presence in joy and worship, and, 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 and then they did something really different. They gave gifts. They gave gifts. We struggle when it comes to the church and our giving. We really do. And I'm not just talking about in tithe and offering. I'm talking about in our giving of our time and our talent and our energy. We struggle with that. We want the church to be there when we're hurting, but can't be there every week or I can't, I can't be a part of this ministry or that ministry or I, I, can't, I can't get involved with it. And I, I'm too busy. It's fascinating to me that we as a people group, if we're going to be a church that God's called to be, he has got to begin to understand something that we've got to learn to be givers and not takers. See, givers give no matter what. Takers take no matter. Givers give so you could be enhanced and you can become better for being in my presence. Takers take because they want to be enhanced because you came into their presence. Givers do not need recognition. Takers always want to be seen. Fascinating, isn't it? But when we learn how to be generous, and here, here's men that come to a house that the man, the, the head of the house is a carpenter. The little boy's two years old. They're there under a prophetic means because God knows that Herod is going to kill all the newborn babies up to two years of age. What are, what are we going to do here? They didn't come because of that. They came to worship him. But you see, you got to understand that When God asks you to give something, it might not be have anything to do with what you think it has to do with. Amen? I told you a story years ago about when we had the thing with the watch, and the person, the couple, that gave me a Rolex watch, a presidential Rolex watch, honor that story. I'm sitting in a service Wednesday night. God, God speaks to some lady. She jumps up, runs up, and throws a $500 check on the platform. The usher goes like, I "Can go to her," and I look down, so it's $500. I said, "Leave her alone. <laughs> I'm a pastor. That's $500. That's in the church." Huh. Another person jumped up. A, and long story short, an hour and something later, we had uh, almost $40,000, 45000 cash laying on a platform. And in the middle of all that, I feel in my spirit God saved me. Take that presidential watch on your hand and put it in the offering. I said, God, I, do you know how much this watch costs? <laughs> Y'all are laughing. I really did do that. I'm just being very transparent right now. I really did. And then I went through about how I got the watch. That a couple two years earlier to give me the watch because we'd helped them with their marriage and God put it back together. And they were very successful in life, and they came in and said, "You told them to give me this watch, and now you want me to take a gift that somebody gave me and put in an offer? I can't do that until I talk to that couple." <laughs> Excuse number two. <laughs> so finally, I'm I'm really feeling bad, and everybody's all excited. My wife's up playing. Keyboard and singing, everybody's just having a good old time. And I'm, I'm, I'm sweating bullets back here, man. I'm, I'm hanging on to that presidential watch with everything I got. <laughs> Y'all know that story. I finally said, if there, I'm going to be, I'm gonna be if, I'm, if, I, if I'm in Christ, I'm Abraham's seed, and heir, according to the promise. If Abraham got ask if there's 10 more righteous left, I'm going to ask, if there's 10 more people that want to give after all of his giving, then I'll give the watch. Because everybody finished giving. He'd been over an hour. How much are you going to give? Then this guy I'd never known, never met, he was visiting, (laughs) jumps up and says, Hey, Pastor, I don't have any more money. I'm going, Thank you, Jesus. He has no more money. But if you'll keep this thing going, I'm going to go to my truck. I got my checkbook. I'll be right back. And then my wife stops playing and says, Honey, I don't think God's through with this thing yet. And she goes down to the van, gets her purse, comes up, and she writes a check. <laughs> and then they all start running back to the front with money again. Of course, long story short, we gave the money. Gave, gave the watch, took it off, put it under the offering. Stood there, and I wept with everybody else. They were weeping for Jesus. I was, <laughs> I was weeping because of the watch. <laughs> God, my watch. I would never be able to afford a Pastor Shower, you can't afford that. Man. I'm not one of those who say, well, I used to have one. I hate that. <laughs> and then God spoke to me. I said, why? He said, because I want to take this ministry to another level. And I can't get you there. You listen to this. I can't get you there with what you had. So I had them give a seed to you two years ago. You've enjoyed it because this is the seed you're going to need to go to the next level. Well, all I can say is pretty good. Look around. Pretty good seed. See, in your giving, God always has a purpose that sometimes you don't see where he wants to take you. But everything that God has ever done requires a seed. It requires something. And when we no longer are givers, we let the takers take over. I'll go through that again. When we begin to enter into the place that we will not give anymore of our time, our talent, our energy, our finance. When we no longer give, the takers take over. If you don't believe that, and if you're somebody like, you know my son, he's a CrossFit guy, and he's had to wear the muscles, and you know, he's always wearing a tight shirt so you can see his muscles. <laughs> Let him not work out for you here, and let's see what the world takes from. Why? Because he's got to give his time to keep himself in shape. The world understands that. Come on, no pain, no gain. The world understands that. If you don't go to work and work hard, you're not going to get raises. You're not going to be promoted. Mm -hmm. But yet the church has never understood that. We just come to church and and we take and we take and we take and we take and we lose the fact that we're supposed to be givers. And we stop giving of our time, our talent, our energy. Then we opened a door for the God of this world to begin to steal and to kill and destroy. See, unfortunately, we try to tie everything to dollars and cents, but it's not. It's lifestyle. And so what happened is these wise men, when they came, it said they reached into their treasure. Now, this is real important. We get this. They reached into their treasure, which means it became up close and personal. If you're not giving out of your spirit and out of your heart and something that has value to you, then what you're giving has no meaning to the one you're giving it to. So it said they reached and took out of their treasure. They took out of their va- That was valuable to them. God helped the church begin to learn how to reach inside and take out what's valuable in us and begin to distribute it to others. It could be a kind word. It could be a phone call. It could be a it could be a letter written or a note. It it, it could be a gift. It could be it could be a financial thing. But it says that they went into their treasures, that which was of their treasure, and they gave out of that. Now, what did they give? They gave gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Another thing we have to look at, because what they gave, there was a purpose. Now, if those that are taking notes, if you're going to be a giver. What you give has to be that which will cause God to be glorified. Your time, your talent, your energy, or your money. It has to be used for God's glory. Okay? Number two. If you're going to be a giver, it's got to benefit the one you're giving to. Everybody gives you something and you go, "Oh, that's nice." Everybody do that? I get stuff given to me all the time. I have stuff I have books sent to me from people all over the country. but they're not giving it to me because they want to enhance my life. They're giving it to me because they want me to promote. So you know what happens to those books, right? If I don't know the person and I don't and I know the character, and they send me a book in the mail and go, we just written a new book. I want to send this to you. And then they, give, then they give you little things so you can order more books. It goes trash. I never read it. Because they're not giving it to me to enhance me. They're not giving it to me to, to glorify God. They're doing it so they can build their, their position. If you're going to give of your time, your talent, energy, your finance, make sure it benefits the one you're giving it to. Now, let me help you with that. There's some people who want to see me that I don't book appointments with because there's no benefit. Some people just want to meet me or meet me for whatever reason. I have no idea. But they And I'm not being funny about that. I laugh when people want to meet me. I go, really? You don't know me very well then. But anyway, <laughs> because of position and because of where we've been in the world system and, and what God has done for us in the church arena and the books we've written and, and again, the notoriety, I guess, that we've had, Nationally as well as internationally. Some people say, we just want to meet you. Well, is it going to glorify God? Is it going to benefit me? If it's not going to do that, I don't want to meet you. Well, I know I'm stepping on some toes right now. But he said, well, I've been trying to get a point with you for a year. I'm joking. I'm a pastor. That's different. That's different. we get got so many people coming in. But you you understand what I'm saying. So it, it has to glorify God. It has to be a benefit to the one that you're giving it to. But now, number three, this is where the church struggles. It has to benefit you. If I'm going to give it to glorify God, it's going to benefit you. But what's my harvest? Well, I don't give to get. You're lying. I hate people who tell me that stuff. Why did you receive Jesus? I want to go to heaven. Why do you pray? I want God to. Oh, you want something. Don't, don't tell me that everybody wants something somewhere, sometimes, someplace. So, what I'm saying to you is that understand something. What is the, when I give to be a blessing, when I give to glorify God, God says there's always, you can't sow. God is not mocked what your man soweth. He says it will come back to you. It is going to be pressed down, shaken together, running over in good measure. It's coming back to you. But we in the church have gotten this mindset that it's almost unholy to expect a return. Now, it goes against everything that the system of of God is built upon. God clearly teaches us in the book of John chapter 15 that he says if we don't bear fruit, he's going to cut us off. He says that when we bear fruit, it glorifies him. Just read John chapter 15 verses 1 through 15. It might shock you. Go to the book of Matthew over there in the, in the 26th chapter, 25th chapter, where the, where the stewards were given according to their ability, five, two, and one. And, and the one with five multiplied it. The one with two multiplied The one with one, he said, you're a wicked servant. You, you know that I reap when I sow or where I haven't sown. I gave you the ability to produce. You didn't produce, you're out. Mm. The Bible says the book of Matthew, in chapter 5, that they will see our good works and glorify him. They're going to see our fruit. Well, if I don't have any fruit to see, you can't even identify me because by my fruits you know me. See, you always use that verse when somebody's bad, we go, well, by their fruits, we know them. (laughs) Well, what about by their good fruit? I know them by their good fruit. I'm not their judge, but I can know who they are based upon the fruit that they produce. So it's important we, we, we get a hold of these things. When we begin to give a gift, do it with purpose. What did, what did David say when he went before Saul and he said to, he, uh, about with Goliath? And the first thing that David said, he says, here's question number one. It's not whether I can kill this giant or not. What does the man get for killing him? In other words, before I go out there and do this for you, what's in it for me? You say, well, that's selfish. No, it's not as practical. I'm not talking about selfish and, and, being, and being, if you will, greedy and things like that. But know something. Everything you do in life should produce that which glories God, that blesses someone else, and produces fruit back into your life. And if it doesn't, then you better examine what you're doing. And that's where the church has gotten into trouble. Because as I've said, when we are not producing, the enemy is stealing. And we're falling short in so many areas. We look at what's happened in our government. We look at what's happened in our school system. We look at even what's happened in our churches. What is happening? It's because we've not been fruit bearers. We've been takers. We've taught our people to take, 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 take. Go to a church. If I don't like the music, I go to some place that I like music, so they can entertain me. I always get fascinated with that. People will come here and say. God told me to come to this church. And three months later, you're leaving. Wow, I didn't know God changed his mind. Well, I, I, you know, I'm just struggling with, with some of the music. God knew the music was here before he told you to come. Hello. I'll never forget when my dad came to Margate. I, I, my, in my dad's story in his, in his, life, the story in his book, he talks about it. When God told him to come to Margate, he said he was in prayer and he, and he said, he stopped and he said, God, do you know where Margate is? <laughs> True story. He said, in his mind, because you got to understand, we, we, lived over in Fort Lauderdale. Dad had been out of ministry for all because he had suffered four heart attacks. He, you know, God had raised him up and healed him, told him, to go, at 59 years of age, go back into ministry. And, and, he was all excited, but then God said, go to Margate. He said, you know where Margate is? Margaret is nothing but Jews and Catholics. Why are you sending me there? And God said, because they're my people and I love them. And I need somebody to go tell them how much I love them. So here we are. 45 years later. Isn't that amazing? But why? But why? What is our purpose? So this city and this county can know that God is a good God. He loves you. And God really, really wants to bless you. That's right. That's who we are. We're not judging. We're not we're not your judge or jury. I don't run behind people and say, don't do this and don't do that. That's none of my business. And, and that gets the people upset too. Well, why don't you preach against stuff? I'm not called to preach against stuff. I, I have I can't get you to understand what's for you, much less try to tell you what not to do. <laughs> I just gotta get you turned on to the good stuff. And here's what I learned a long time ago. When you get so busy doing the right thing, you don't have time to do the wrong thing. Amen? Now watch this now. So they gave out of the treasure. They gave with purpose to glorify God, to be a benefit to Jesus. And it's going to bring a return. But watch what it, what it says, though. It says they gave him gold. Why gold? Gold is pure. It's the purest metal known to mankind. And it represents deity and righteousness. We're talking about the life that Jesus was going to live. It represents the fact that he's part of the Godhead, deity, It represents righteousness, and it represents purity. And we understand that because in the Gospels, what does it say? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God, which meant that gold represented that Jesus would always have a relationship with his Father. Frankincense, that's a a unique term there because what they use that for is is, is, is a form of sacrifice, It represents that he would be a sacrificial lamb because they would use that when they would incense and they would offer any sacrifices. It represented his priesthood, who he would be as a high priest. It's important we see that, but it also represents redemption. Redemption. Jesus represents our redemption. As many as receive Jesus, he gives the power to become the sons of God. Sent not his son to condemn. He sent his son that the world might be saved. Jesus is not after you in the sense of trying to put you down. He's after you in the sense of trying to lift you up. Redemption. So what they did is when they they came to him with with gold and then the frankincense, it was because they were identifying not only who he was, but the life that he was going to live. But then the last, this is a unique passage. It says, then they gave him... The myrrh, why? Because that was used in embalming. That was used in preparing people to be buried. It represented death. It represented burial, and it represented his resurrection. Wow! Death, burial, and resurrection. You know these wise men were pretty wise, weren't they? Think about that a moment. But here's the key. When you look at all of these elements that represent his life, look at where they came from. They came out of their treasure. You want your life to be prepared with what God has for you, and you want to find favor on the job, and you you, you want to get get a raise here, or you want a business that's successful, understand something. Out of you giving out of your treasure, what you make happen for others, God makes happen for you. The giving, watch this now, the giving of their treasure identified the future that Jesus was going to walk in. The giving of your treasure, of your time, your talent, your energy, or your finance, represents the future that you will possess. Your giving prepares you, not for what was or what is, but for what was. Oh my God. So I control my life through my giving. Mm-hmm. God so loved the world, he controlled the future by giving his only begotten son that whosoever believed in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Mm-hmm. And we've tied it all up in all our religious ribbons and we've gotten away from the truth mm-hmm. that God loves all of us in spite that God has a plan for our life. That we set the course that God has ordained for us by allowing Him to speak to us and identify in us that which is treasure to us. Whether it be of our time, whether it be of our talent, whether it be of our, our energy and how we give ourselves to helping or our finance. But that declares what my future. You don't like where you are, examine the giving for your future. You will be shocked at how you can turn things around. My mom and dad, mom with cancer, almost died, major surgery. My dad four heart attacks, 30% of his heart. God healed both of them. When they started this church, they had access to a thousand dollars, and that was all they had. They were living in a townhome that the church provided for me as a youth pastor over in, down in, in Fort Lauderdale. They'd come to me and say, can you give us $20, $25 to go buy food? Because, because they were broke. They lost everything because of the medical bills and everything. Lost their house. They lost their car. They lost their health. But when God spoke to him to go back to the ministry, God healed him. The first thing he did, the first $1,000 he got a hold of, he started a bundle life. Mm. He said, my future will not be held captive by my and I refuse to allow my present to dictate what I will look like when I stand before God. Thank you for listening. We trust that what you heard today has encouraged you to live the abundant life. For more information about our ministry, please visit us on our website, AbundantLife.tv, or follow us on Instagram at AbundantLife underscore TV and Facebook at Come to Life. And remember, God is a good God. He loves you. and He wants to bless you.